0: Where does yesterday's future which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future which is about to happen and tomorrow's future which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. now where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: (laughs) I always forget which direction I put my hands for the future part when I'm doing it on Zoom. So I said, well, did I go to the right? It looks like a hula dance. Did I go to the right? Did I go to the left? (laughs) Hello, LinkedIn. Hello, Facebook. This is Bonnie D. in the house. Happy to be here. I've got a very interesting topic for you. We're going to try our best to not make this political, but you sure might think we would. We're talking about historical research, and we are certainly in interesting times in the world right now. And how will historians? tell school children, tell future readers, future moviegoers what happened. Well, we're not talking about that today. I'm talking to novelists. I'm talking to a historical nonfiction writer about what tools and tricks and tips they use to find out what happened in the past when they're writing about it. So before I introduce my esteemed four panelists, and I want everybody to wave. Come on, you're all. There we go. Live. Let's go. Let's wave. Wave. There we go. We've got Sharon and we've got Brad. We've got Ursula and we've got Sarah and me. There we go. Let me do my opening with a couple of buzz quotes, and then I will ask my panelists to introduce themselves, and you'll get to know them, and I know you're going to like them. So here's a quote from an author named Kat K.A.T. Clay, just the way it sounds. She wrote The Hammersmith Haunting. Listen to this. She says, it's easier to write about a period you've lived through, but what do you do when everyone who lived during that time is long gone? The obvious first place to start is with nonfiction books. Brad, we're talking to you. First hand experiences in accounts, photography, illustration books, costume books, maps, websites, YouTube videos. Oh my, that's what Cat Clay recommends. Then we have another quote here from the Masterclass Staff. That's a tongue twister. On tips for writing a historical nonfiction novel. Listen to this. Historical nonfiction is a broad category that depicts historical, real life events, literary nonfiction, narrative. Nonfiction, creative nonfiction, which all are used to tell true stories, overlap with historical nonfiction. That's what they were saying. Now I have a quote from the author of *The Outside Lands*. Her name is Hannah Kohler. She says historical fiction ah can be a tricky genre to master. I want my panel to nod if they agree with her. Is that something we can agree with? Yep. Okay. She says if you haven't done your homework, it won't feel authentic. But No one wants to read a novel that feels like a school history lesson. Don't chase accuracy too hard. Oh, that sounds like a slippery slope, doesn't it? And then I have one more quote. This is from uh, the author of Beautiful Poison. Her name is Lydia Kang, and she has a research to-do list. And I, I picked up these few tips. She says, start with historical nonfiction, poach bibliographies fall down the google google pinterest black hole then dig yourself out read historical fiction carefully Get your virtual hands on memoirs and documents. So there's some ideas of where we might go with the topic today. Again, I'm Bonnie D. In the house, it's Technology Revolution, the future of now. So happy to be here. We are live on LinkedIn, live on Facebook, and live, of course, on the Voice America business channel, talking to our listeners and our viewers all over the world. My esteemed guests today are Brad Bork. And Wave when I call your name. There's Brad Brad and I have known each other for years and he just keeps writing and writing and getting more and more famous. Brad, thank you for being with me. Ursula Wong. Ursula's been on so many times. I can't I won't say you could run the show without me, but Ursula, we know you probably could. We have two newcomers who were introduced. I think both of you came through Ursula. We have Sarah Smith, hello, Sarah Wave, hello, there she is with wonderful pictures of a couple of her books behind her, and we have Sharon Yang with a fabulous hat. I want your hat, Sharon, after the show. I'm coming for it. So let's go around the table. I'm gonna put Brad up first on Speaker View. Brad, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, Brad, you and I've done radio shows together. We had a couple of business series you were sponsoring with me when I worked at SAP years ago, uh, and you did too. Um, Brad, I'm guessing there might be about 14.3 people in the world who don't remember who you are. Um, that's a shonda. That, that's a shame. Okay. So <laughs> why don't you refresh their memory and bring us up to date on what you've been up to. I'm putting you on speaker view. Brad, welcome back there.
2: Well, great to be here, Bonnie. Thanks for inviting me and, and great to be with, with, with a quite esteemed panel here as well. Uh, so my background is I've always been fascinated by decision-making and what makes people do what they do and coupled that with my interest in antarctica so that's the picture you see behind me that's antarctica that's summer in antarctica by the way (laughs) and uh so freezing cold and uh but bright sunshine and my interest is in how did the early antarctic explorers uh survive and thrive and succeed or not succeed in and make life and death decisions in in such an environment and went on to write another book about not only Antarctica, but about great people and how do they uh, succeed? And what can we learn from them for modern day decision making? And that's really my focus is, is taking these historical lessons and bringing them to the modern day people and saying, hey, there's a lot to be learned from these for how we deal with risk and danger and, and everything that we're going to have going on in our own lives today
1: and heroes as well right Brad we need we need heroes and you your second book uh, audacious goals is a, is about people who did important things for the world for the betterment of the world lasting impressions lasting docu- lasting edifices lasting bridges whatever that is Brad quick question for you before we go around the sure. table on more introductions do you enjoy the research part? Because your your books are entirely based. They're about research. They're what you can find. Do you enjoy that part? And did you agree with some of the tips I read in my opening buzz quotes, Brad?
2: Yes, absolutely. We'll get into this. I, I'm not a big fan of research on the internet. We, my co-author and I, do research the old-fashioned way, <laughs> and we'll talk about that when we, when we get into it. But yes, it, it is. You've got to love the journey. It's as much as the, the publishing side of it and seeing the finished product. It's the the journey of the, the the research. Absolutely. Thank
1: you. Journey of the research. I could have used that for the title of the show. Technology revolution, the journey of research. I like that very much. Thank you, Brad. Now he tells me. Ursula Wong, so happy to have you back. How are you, dear? It's been Funny. at least, what, a couple of weeks, a couple of months since you've been on the show. We do a lot of shows on writers and authors in the process and publishing, self-publishing. Ursula I'm guessing because you've been on this show more often than Brad has. There might be 9.3 people who don't remember you. Why don't you refresh their memory? Go ahead, Ursula. Welcome back. Great to
3: be here, Bonnie. Thank you. Um, I'm all about Internet research. And, um, you know, I, I write historical fiction. I write historical thrillers centered on Eastern Europe and their relationship with Russia, which always looms large. But I started out as a STEM girl. I was STEM before STEM was a thing. <laughs> and so I physics and mathematics, an advanced degree in mathematics. And so I cut my teeth at the computer industry where I had to conceptualize large quantities of data. I had to have a very clear understanding of what I knew and what I didn't know so I could put things together to solve computer problems. And I was constantly scanning the technical horizon uh, for tools and products that could make my job easier. So when I started writing fiction, um, especially historical fiction, um, the research that I needed to do uh, mapped to all of those skill sets. So, you know, I specialize on Eastern Europe. So I have a conceptual, I have a mental picture of Eastern Europe, where things happened, when things happened, which I can tap. And I have an understanding of what I know, and more importantly, I think, what I don't know. So that guides my research. And I constantly look for new things that have been published, new books, new articles, um, new treatises on what's going on in Eastern Europe, so that I can tap that and have a you know, more accurate current picture. So I find my two careers, computer science and fiction writing, have the same, same skill set, And my advice is that STEM is good, and it works in fiction.
1: Very interesting. STEM is good. Well, Ursula, you and I both know that I'm considered uh, ladies on the panel I found out last year that I'm considered an early woman in tech. I don't go back as far as Grace Hopper, and I didn't invent COBOL, but I was a coder back in the days when we were called a programmer analyst. We did both. We did the analysis, the background. We got the specs from somebody. We wrote the program. We, I was key punching. I brought the cards to the computer room. They ran them. My programs were thousands of lines of code, and we jumped up and down and said, right, Ursula, I, I did. Eureka! I solved the problem. I produced the report." And it was an exciting time. I think I was STEM before that. As a matter of fact, Ursula, in one of my one of my college careers, I was taking a business statistics class, and I solved all the mathematical problems on the assignments by pencil and with notes. And the men in the class were absolutely Brad. They were furious with me because I wasn't using. I think they were using the slide rule for all their mathematical calculations. I didn't own one. And I figured everything out and I got an A in the course, every homework assignment, every test, straight A. And they said,
4: how? She's a girl.
1: How, how, how could she do math? She's a girl. Mm-hmm. I won't tell you where or what year, but it would make sense. I'll tell you all mm-hmm. off here. So, Ursula, thank you. Thank you for the background. I really appreciate that. And welcome back. And let's go to one of our brand new panelists right now. We have Sarah Smith. Sarah, front and center, I'm putting you on speaker view. Please delight us with who you are.
5: Sarah. Hi, hi, Betty. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to Voice, Amer- uh, Voice America. So, we have a theme going here, um, Hellereth cards. Uh, When I was in high school, I was working for the um, Book of the Month Club, which then did everything on Hellereth cards. I can't tell you how many Hellereth cards I read. I have been a professional researcher. I have worked in artificial intelligence, which you're going to hear more of when we get to our predictions. And I'm also a white member of a multicultural family, which means that for me, research is not only incredible, because as Ursula says, it's like putting together a program. It's like gathering together Uh, Big data, it's using all of your skills of intelligence to find the then or two kick-eyeball details that are going to make your writing come alive. Um, It's it's also a process where you come up against your potential um, prejudices and your limitations as a human being who has learned things and hasn't learned other things in Crimes and Survivors, which is about the Titanic. It took me a very long time, a very, very, very long time to do enough research to realize that, and this is something that an African-American, a black uh, author would have known instantaneously, the Titanic was segregated. Um, and as as I do research, and I love to do research, I, I have this uh, dysfunctional relationship with research, <laughs> I keep thinking, what are the limitations of what I've looked at, and where can I get beyond those limitations, and look further, look in more places, and um, look harder. So, not only look at everything, read everything, but try and get out there too and, and, and get beyond that you think you need. Thank you. Very
1: interesting. You said you have a dysfunctional relationship <laughs> with research. I I think today we all do, don't we? Yeah. Even if you're researching the validity of a news story, for goodness' sake, look at what you're going to get. We're not going to get politi- political. Well, how can we but, get political? But we could. We could. And <laughs> I have to clarify. I have to level set. She mentioned Sarah mentioned Hollerith card. That's the eighty-column punch card that I used at, in keep punching my programs, and I still have some. By the way, I still have my silver-colored Cobol handbook and I still have green bar paper with the core dumps from some of my programs with my handwritten notes on what the specs were at the top in pencil. I used to have a consultant in Salem, Oregon call me up. His name was Alan. He'd say, okay, Bonnie, get out a piece of paper, get out a legal pad and a pencil and a ruler. He said, draw me four columns down and five across, and these are the fields we need. And this is what the report, I know, I know, Sarah, that's mm-hmm. how that's how the specs were conveyed. There was no big, and it was called information management systems, Brad before we talked about IT. It was IMS or MIS management information systems. Mm -hmm. And we were just programmer analysts. We did it all. And I love those days. So anyway, thank you very much, Sarah, for the good memories. Sharon Yang, the lady who rocks the hat, the hat of the day. I can't wait to introduce you to my audience and to me. So Sharon, you're up, please.
4: Okay. Well, um, you know, I have always been an old movie buff. You know, I grew up watching films and, uh, part of my research is it's high tech and low tech because my parents grew up in the thirties and forties. And so I could turn to them and their friends and talk about what life was like then. And then again, that drew me into watching older films. And I love the style. I love the mystery. I love the cinematography. I love the the great language. And um, you know, it seemed to me there weren't enough of those things. So I decided to write some of my own. And, um, you know, I went to school, I, as I have a PhD in English, I taught Shakespeare, I taught film and lit. And I managed to bring a lot of my love of writing of mysteries and teaching together. And that actually taught me a lot about doing research, whether it's online, because I certainly had to keep up in, um, you know, teaching students how to use uh, the internet as well as these things called books uh, <laughs> critically <laughs> and honestly. <laughs> so Google has been in doing research, Google has been my friend as well as my nemesis for tracking down what students wrote and then you know letting them finding out that they were cheating and, and not. But it's also been a wonderful help sometimes, um, maybe not Google, but online. Um, you know, if I need to know what kind of a gun did an SOE agent living in America in the late 40s have? Well, it, he could use a cult and I, that I could find online. But there's a lot of other things that I, I found more low tech from books, from, um, from talking to people from that time period and watching film and reading nonfiction of the time, uh, fiction, I'm sorry, of the time you get to see what people are thinking, um, what they're smoking, what they're drinking, what they're eating, how they live their lives. And and a little bit in line with what Sarah was saying, um, you do have to do a tap dance between what is considered acceptable socially in terms of racism and sexism, and what we look at now and say, yeah, I can't go there. So... (laughs) Uh, it's it's something I've always loved. I love to write. I love to recapture the wit, the humor. And especially those smart, fast-talking, tough, independent gals from that time period.
1: <laughs> smart, tough-talking yeah. gals. I, I love that. Yeah, we need more of those today, actually. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Let's go on. Thank you all for your introductions. I really appreciate I got to, if if the if I was taking a break on the show, I'd go get a hat, Sharon. I'm sorry. I'm terribly <laughs> jealous. I do have, I do have, however, I keep these by my side. I do have my drumsticks with me. Okay. I'm a, I'm a chick, chick drummer and they're red sticks. Oh, I don't good. have my red drum <laughs> boots on yet, but anyway. Okay. <laughs> so let's go to our opening quotes, which are very, very interesting. Brad Borkin is up first. Brad sent us a quote from Charles Muntz, M-U-N-T-Z, voiced by the actor Christopher Plummer. The movie is up, one word, two letters, up, 2009 computer animated film, Pixar's first film in 3D film format and he is an adventurer's adventurer owner of a nifty plane the spirit of adventure he wouldn't go back to the u.s until he captured the mysterious beast of paradise falls kevin let's just leave that alone here's the (laughs) quote brad has picked i'm sure there were a gazillion quotes in this movie brad here it is it's four words ladies i think you're gonna love this adventure is out there Wow, Brad, that's a really cool quote. Tell us how you found that, and just briefly, take two minutes this time, what does it have to do with our topic on historical research, Brad?
2: Well, uh, I love the movie Up, and and it was just a a fun and and interesting movie. And the quote has to do with the idea that there's adventure all around us. And even if we're locked down and in our own homes, there are ways to have adventures. And the, the idea that that historical research, I was doing researching the second book, the Audacious Goals book, during COVID. And here we are trying to my co-author who's in California and I'm in London, trying to figure out how do we escape and get out of lockdown and, and do research when we can't go to libraries and can't go to museums and talk with people. And so it, it it was this idea that venture doesn't have to be, okay, I've got to get to Antarctica to write about Antarctica. I've got, I can do research from my desk and from the telephone and from Zoom. And uh, that's what it was all about. So adventures all around us. Always Thank there. you
1: very much. And we're already picking up lots of interesting insights from where you all prefer to get your research or to do your research. Interesting. I know there's going to be a potpourri of opportunities here. This is not a how-to for potential writers out there. This is just what's interesting about where where the stories in books come from if they have any kind of historical basis. So let's go on to Ursula Wong. You have an interesting quote from Yoda. I have not perfected my Yoda impersonation. Ursula, you might want to do this, but Yoda voiced by Frank Oz. Before dying, oh, gave advice to Luke Skywalker, played by Mark Hamill. Star Wars Episode VI, that's six, Return of the Jedi, nineteen eighty-three, American epic space opera film. I'll never get over the genre, a space opera. I'm sorry, I just I can't. I've heard of comedy thriller and and you know all kinds of things, action action. Commoda, comedy, drama, detective, romance, romance. But I, I never will get over the space opera genre. Here's the quote Ursula has selected: "Always pass on what you have learned." Ursula, bestow my heart. That's so beautiful. Go ahead, talk to us. Well, back in the STEM days,
3: um, I sometime was referred to as being Yoda esque. So I chose to uh, believe that this was for the wisdom I had, as opposed to any speech pattern or physical similarities. God forbid. But Yoda is my go-to guy whenever some type of advice or uh, you know some type of basic wisdom is called for. So here in Return of the Jedi, uh, Yoda has been, you know, Yoda has been teaching lessons to young Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm you know he told him how to levitate this space mobile i mean all sorts of cool things and luke is constantly saying yeah yeah get on with it yoda i want to go fight the bad guys on the death star on the on the dark side but so yoda keeps giving these lessons and he's exhausted the light is leaving his eyes and he tells luke this one thing pass on what you have learned so you know, that's what we writers do. Uh, If we're writing fiction, our characters react the way we have reacted. They learn to love the way we love. They learn sadness the way we learned sadness. And in historical fiction, we add to that dimension by passing on our research, not in terms of a massive amount of information, but in terms of Carefully selected bits that lend information and reality and depth and interest to our stories. So I think that you know Yoda's words, passing on what we've learned, is something that writers
1: live by, as well as young Jedi knights. And <laughs> Jedi, thank you very much, Ursula. Interesting, yes, interesting that you Yoda is your go-to for for wisdom. I I like that a lot, and that says something about how the character was developed and presented and the the patter about the character and how the character caught on in our hearts, right, and in our minds over the years that he is there for us. Interesting. Yoda, thank you. Let's go to Sarah Smith. Sarah has sent us a quote from the movie Doctor Strange, 2016 American superhero movie based on a <laughs> 1978 TV, film, and of course, Doctor Strange is based on a Marvel comics fictional character created, co-created by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Now, the quote has two parts to it. I think this is everything you sent me, Sarah. If not, I embellished it. So here we go. The first part is from the Ancient One, who is played by an androgynous Celtic or Celtic version of the character played by Tilda Swinton, and that character says. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. And Dr. Stephen Strange, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, who is everywhere these days, says, which is, and the ancient one says, it's not about you. Oh, my, Sarah Smith, unpack this for me. This I had to have the whole scene to just
5: get it. So talk to me. So the, the point of research is not just to have wonderful um, information about the history. It's, as you've been saying, Sharon and, and Ursula, too, it's, uh, and Brad, it's all about characters. Mm-hmm. That's why I suggested it's not about you. What I like to do most in a book is to find out and to build not only one world, but several different people looking at this historical period in different ways. Um, In Crimes and Survivors, there's a black woman who is looking at the Titanic as essentially a white sort of thing, and who cares? And then there are other people who are survivors and who are devastated, and there are people who are not. And the fun of it was to use the research to build their different worlds and their different characters. And to then get all of these people together in a single book and have one of them say, the Titanic is nothing. And the other one saying, I'll never recover. I'll never recover. And it seems to me that this is that we can do as storytellers in fiction better than anybody else is to build these worlds and to show off these worlds and to use our research to make these worlds significant and believable and complete
1: worlds that's the key i got to build these worlds to make them significant and complete believable yes that's where we want our readers to go right brad wants them to go into a reality setting of what people really (laughs) did that we didn't may not know, may not remember to maybe inspire us or to awe us or to say, wow, I couldn't have done that. Some kind of a reaction person to person and fantasy and novels are escapism and maybe some reflection on the past. Thank you very much, Sharon. I'm looking at your quote, four words. We love the short ones, too. And this is on a poster in the office of Fox Mulder, played by David Duchovny. In the X-Files, American sci-fi drama TV series from 1993 to 2002, created by Chris Carter, revolves around FBI Special Agents Fox Mulder by Duchovny and Dana Scully, played by Gillian Anderson, who investigate X-Files, marginalized, unsolved cases involving woo, paranormal phenomena. The original series had 202 episodes. It ran from 1993 to 2002 on Fox for nine seasons and there lots of continuations, but the quote from this poster, which is also the name of the standalone movie version is I want to believe. Oh, Sharon, I've got goosebumps on this one. How'd you find this? Go ahead.
4: Oh, well, I've always been an X-Files buff. And um, again, it's something I integrated with uh, my academic as well as my um, fiction writing. So um, uh, one of the reasons I used it – in terms of doing research is uh i kind of have to put it in context um when i used to teach a course called creative thinking critical writing basically was trying to teach critical thinking skills to be applied to writing and in this particular episode called jose Chung's from outer space you see fox Mulder's poster which says i want to believe but there's another character named blaine lassiter who's kind of ditzy and he doesn't think very much, and he just wants to belong. And he has a poster that says, I believe, and he's blacked out the want. And we would talk about in class, what is the significance of that one word, want? And I think this comes in very importantly when you're doing research, when you're writing about people who think. If you believe, you just accept. That's it. I believe. But I want to believe says, well, I'm interested I think this could be true, but I have to check it out. I have to see, you know, I want to do it. I am maybe admitting I have a little bias here, but I have to prove it. So um, this is kind of what I think is important for research that you really have to look at whether it's online or in books, who wrote this, who put that out there. How reliable are these people? Do they have an agenda? Do they know what the hell they're talking about? So I I really wanted people, this is what I try to do when I am doing my research, try to ask a question of, you know, is it just what I want to believe or can I believe it? Not just to accept what's there because it's maybe what I think I'd like to see or it looks pretty on the page.
1: Thank you very much. Reality check. And that is consider the source. We all know that, especially when it's something we hear that we don't like consider yeah. the source that's usually yeah. disparaging, right? But also yeah. where did it come from? And what yes. did, where did their research come from? Are yeah. they painting a picture? Is it fiction? Yeah. Is it based on w- what is the fact? And that's a really big question today is what are the facts we've got alternate worlds of facts. Let's yeah. just leave that there. We know we're not getting into that, Bonnie. Don't talk about that. Now we get to the. Thank you all for really, really excellent quotes. I appreciate the effort you all put into finding something to bring to us today that's very interesting. And some of them I've never heard of. I'm not an X Files fan, but I just might. I, I might, I might go. I'm, I'm still working on 24. I'm on. I have an episode and a half left of Day Three, which is from 2004, and I'm trying to imagine what all the actors look like now. 18 years later. Don't, don't even, don't even. I know, I know. A bunch of people are about to get killed in the next 20 minutes after lunch. Okay, so let's go to our predictions now. Uh, As I said before the show, before we started, I'm going to read a prediction. Brad, I'm going to start with yours, number one. I put one for Brad, one for Ursula, one for Sarah in the chat, and I'll put one for you, Sharon, in a minute. I'm going to read the prediction, take about two, two and a half minutes, because we have so much to cover, and Brad, unpack it, tell us what it means to you, and then if anybody on the panel has something really important, I'll let you decide what it important is, or interesting, or funny to say about it, wiggle (laughs) your polite finger at me and I will see you and I will call you and then we'll move on to the next one. I want to see how many we can cover. So Brad's first prediction is as follows. People will discover eBay as a great source for (laughs) historical research. Brad, I'm going to stop right there because that's such a provocative sentence. I'm going to let you unpack it rather than reading the rest of it. Brad, go ahead.
2: Great. Great. Well, when when my co-author David Herzl and I started on the second book, the Audacious Goals book, it's about uh, three incredible people and six incredible events. So, Isambard Kingdom Brunel, uh, who's an engineer, and Roald Amundsen, who's an explorer, and Theodore Roosevelt. Well, there are lots of them written about Theodore Roosevelt. Less so amounts to two others. And especially when you came to Brunel, who built the first tunnel under a flowing river in the 1840s, and the work actually started in the 1820s. it it was trying to figure out how do we really understand what this is all about when you can't go to a library. It it actually, the tunnel actually exists and it's not, maybe it is probably five miles, 10 miles from where I live. (laughs) But, you know, when you're you're in a lockdown situation, you can't go anywhere. So I started looking at eBay and on eBay, there were newspaper clippings, there were lithographs. I mean, you could buy a lithograph for $5 or five pounds of the tunnel from the 18 drawn in the 1840s it's a it's a reproduction but it's a uh it's the the literary newspaper accounts there were books written There were they when the tunnel opened they had these various um uh fold out various things explained what the tunnel was all about and i could see people were selling them and some were expensive some were very cheap i mean buying things for five dollars ten dollars and just getting and it was so much fun having the artifacts i'm not a collector but having the artifacts in my hand being able to read them touch them and it just brought the research to life in a way that i never would have envisioned had we not been to lock it would have been at the museum had it would have been in the library would have been uh reading and discussing with my co-author and, and it would have been a different experience but ebay was just this treasure trove of wealth and i found a book about the panama canal written in 1906 Panama Canal didn't open until 1914, and in 1906, they hadn't even decided to put locks in. It was going to be a sea-level canal, just dig a big trench across Panama and let the oceans fill it. it these things that are on eBay are just wonderful for historical research, and, and it was just so much, and it just turned the research phase into more fun rather than uh, drudgery, and which there are times when... The research you're, you're trying to get every single fact right we i literally could spend six hours writing one sentence because there's six hours of research to <laughs>
1: yeah. put
2: one sentence in. so it so it's uh it, it's a wonderful resource if people haven't found that
1: before thank you very interesting sharon's
4: wiggling her finger at me sharon go ahead yeah i really have had some similar experiences to brad um i've picked up on ebay a lot of uh, fashion magazines or Uh, movie magazines or, you know, like look or like, and not like. uh, Life, 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 look at life, yes. (laughs) Um, Yes. And so that's giving me, uh, looking at the advertisements, uh, I I see what people are wearing and what they're buying and what face cream they're using and uh, what cigarettes they're smoking and attitudes towards the war. I mean, um, and then articles about, you know, women and, and men and relations. Um, it's really been, in that sense, it's been very helpful. I've also found a lot of uh, books written during that time period on eBay. Uh, and I think I'm probably going into one of my responses. But that also, um, you know, kind of helps me with what's going on. So I agree with Brad. It's a wonderfully rich resource to, to you know, find
5: background material. Thank you, Sharon. Sarah Smith, want to say something? Go ahead, Sarah. Pin supposedly off Titanic off eBay, and it was cheap because it had no provenance. You can find anything on eBay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I will tell you all that when I was in between jobs many years ago, I started selling on eBay. I had a radio mm-hmm. guest who was called the Queen of eBay, and she <laughs> gave me her book and she taught me. She was selling anything and everything. She was making, <laughs> making a huge living that could support her and her grandmother wow. on selling. Oh, yeah, this was serious stuff. And one day, my mom and I were dry. I lived in Great Neck, Long Island, if anybody knows anything about that. And somebody was dumping out the contents of their basement, which included Sharon, included hundreds of life and look magazines and movie posters and stuff. And I said to mom, okay, you're driving the getaway car. And mom pulled up right in front of the one house down. And I ran to the curb, the garbage. And I checked with the, with the village clerk to see if it was allowed to steal stuff from somebody. She says, as long as it's out for garbage pickup, you're welcome. We filled my mother's trunk with with all of these And I went home and I had to blow dry them out because they'd been in a musty damp basement, Mm. and there were water stains on some of them. I put dozens of these magazines on eBay and Mm. sold some. One had the cover of Jackie Kennedy, horseback wow. riding shortly after Jack's assassination wow. I don't even know how but anyway I mean so and there was uh, Angela Davis there were some historical difficult times covers that were just amazing so I know there was a market mm-hmm. for that yes I, we got to move on but thank you so okay. much let's go to uh, and I appreciate the comments about the but Ursula prediction number one you say I predict new tools for historical research all working together under one umbrella to help researchers not only find information but organize catalog, and store it. Ursula, I'm not going to read anymore. Tell us, please.
3: Okay, so as a STEM girl, I think about um, technology that can solve problems, right? So, you know, I was thinking about how I can organize. Years ago, I was thinking about how I could organize all of this data that I found in my uncle's army trunk relevant to his time in World War II um, with stories and letters and manuscripts from his friends all about uh, really the Soviet occupation of Eastern Europe, which is what I write about. There's a lot of data. So what could I do to organize that? So I started thinking of um, a kayak.com for historical research. So I would call this tool Find and Save. The find part would um, go out to the best sources of information on the Internet for a category, different sources for different categories, biography, different Mm. from political, different from um, event-based history. And it would find this information, and I would choose to have find and save send me an email in the morning. I would open it. It would say, Ursula, you look wonderful. Here is the result of your search from yesterday. I would click on the links. It would automatically save the material to my desktop because things like, information about an obscure border crossing from Lithuania into Russia Kaliningrad mm-hmm. disappears when Russia invades Ukraine. Yeah. So yeah. you need to save as opposed to links. So my find and save would automatically store that and it would be in a way that makes sense for my project. So um, my other predictions are about the find part, but it's basically this big umbrella that helps you um Do research of the best categories automatically with you know um, intelligence within the tool itself.
1: Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Let's move on, see more about our the technology of historical lookup. Sarah Smith, this is interesting. You say GPT-3, which is pseudo-right, S-U-D-O-W-R-I-T-E, and large Mm -hmm. databases will be used to create AI characters documents and contrafactual experience. You need to unpack this for me, lady. Some of which will be used as forgeries of actual documents. I'm gonna stop there. Very, very interesting. Sarah,
5: regale us, enlighten us, teach us. Go ahead. Okay. Um you remember I said I I did AI for a while. so this is about deep faking. Deep faking is a thing and if you don't want to be absolutely scared to death by it, you go on YouTube and you look up Owl Kitty. Oh, I love that. Uh, Owl is Kitty it? is so cute. And it's, you know, two two people in a kitchen with a green screen, an iPhone, and a cat. And they're making um, trailers for things like Jazz and Titanic, except it's got a cat. And they're, they also do the... Um, behind the scenes videos, which are fascinating because you can put a cat in Titanic. Um, you can get entirely rose and you can put in a cat and it looks believable. Yeah. Now we are on the cusp of being able to do that with text. And this does scare me. Yeah. Um, various ai companies on the internet are now offering to write blogs for you and write uh, basically ghostwrite your book through ai and and this sort of thing is going to make it difficult for us folks in research because we have Things like Tom Cruise doing magic acts you can write a whole thing about Tom Cruise being a great magician, only it was a fake. Yeah. Um, there are also accidental deepfakes out on the internet. Um, the one that I'm familiar with is a uh, a poem which is out in three versions on the internet and um, one says it was written in 1583, and they're sure. And another one says it was written in 1585, and they're sure. And I happen to have seen the sur- surviving title page of this thing. It was written in 1580. You, you have to be really, really careful yeah. about where uh, your sources come from. Yeah. We won't get into politics, but especially now.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. That's true. And, and then that brings to mind, Sarah Smith and, and everybody else, the question of how discerning is the reader that they're going to pick up on this? Are they looking for this? Is a reader reading your historical or yeah. semi-partly historical fiction and Brad's Historical nonfiction. Are they reading it, looking, expecting yeah. you're fooling them, expecting a effect, expect, expecting it's a, it's a false document or a false fact or an alternative fact, or are they wanting to believe? and enter your world of fantasy or your wor- your world of wherever you want to take them and i know it's very simple for me as a as a writer business writer mostly but i am writing my first my first novel and it's very modern and it's very funny and i have to use a fictitious name because i don't want people to know who i am because it's <laughs> scathing it's scathing Absolutely scathing. And it's hyster. I think it's hysterical. I, I laugh. I do a paragraph a night and I laugh. Anyway, my point is I forget my point. Um, wh- What do you want people to get out of what you're writing? And and where do you want to take the. Oh, I was going to say, when I. I uh, a friend who has been on radio shows with me, Brad, a business person on some of my radio shows, wrote a wonderful book. I won't give the name of it or who he is, but he hard copied and he, he sent me a book uh, inscribed. And I read the forward, which was one page, and I found two glaring typos in the first three sentences and what can I tell you? I, I saw you all go and I didn't know whether to tell him or not. We're on on text chat. We're we're friends. And I finally said to him, hey, are you going to plan to do a reprint? Because uh, there's a cup, and he said, "Already took care of that. Have no idea why it happened. It's already been fixed." Except there's a fact that I'll tell you all off air. He got wrong about a radio show he did with me two years ago. That's in the back of the book on the acknowledgments, and he said something that was completely wrong, and it was a miss. Brad, I think you can mm-hmm. figure out what it is. An extra word in between the two names. Yes, mm-hmm. and. I said to him, did you also know you misstated something that means you were somewhere that you weren't? And he said, oops, that's not going to get corrected a friend of mine picked it up because he read the whole book overnight and he said, they put this wrong. I didn't know what to say. So that kind of thing gets me. But it, when you're going into a story, you want to be regaled. You want to be reeled in. You want to escape. Brad, people want to escape into the world where there were heroes and people building important things that have lived on and impacted our culture and our society. And Sarah and Ursula and Sharon, people want to be brought in. And so the question is, what, what are they willing to believe and how hard are they going? going to look. I, but I rest my case on that one. Who are we up to? Let's see. I need to go to Sharon Yang's prediction number four. I like this one. You say, many more expert mystery writers of the golden age will be rediscovered or re-evaluated through electronic reproduction of original texts, the internet marketplace we've been talking about, and the plethora of websites and web groups devoted not only to us, giving us the pleasure of this writing, but to deepening our understanding of the cultural context in which it was written. Go ahead, Sharon. Well,
4: this is not as scary as Sarah's, um, but um, actually it's very positive because what I've been finding um, is that if you go to, um, there are a lot more websites devoted to There's like women writers of the 1940s (coughs) and 50s, um, mysterious press, um, lots of websites divided, (coughs) sorry, devoted to those particular types of writers. So, um, you get to uh, see people who are out there like um, uh, Margaret Millar and Francis mm-hmm. Crane and um, <clears throat> some of um, the Charlotte Armstrong, <laughs> and Dorothy McArdle, people that I, some of them I hadn't heard of. Um, and um, <clears throat> just by, well, actually how I first came across some of these people is watching old films and I would see on what the film was based. So I'd look up the name And I'd find these websites with all this wonderful information on these people. And then connecting me with other authors who are similar. And some of them even had connections to um, uh, electronic copies of their work. Uh, And another way, you know, maybe you can't go out, especially now with COVID, you can't go puttering through bookstores uh, old bookstores looking for, and, and we know even when we've done that, we end up. I see Bonnie, you blowing your nose. <laughs> yeah, all the dust gets to you. There, you can't find them. They're out of um, out of order. But things like Abe Books, is that how you pronounce it? It's either Abe or Abe Books. Um, Albras, um, Goodreads, um, even you know Amazon. Uh, once you know one one name or one book. You can open up a plethora of different possibilities of people to look at. So there you've got some wonderful reading um, of this 1940s, uh, 30s, 40s, 50s style, which also opens it up for those of us who write in that time period. So people will look at the the past and see things that we're writing now and be interested in. Um, You have all those opportunities. um, and, um, you know, you get to learn more about those writers as well. Um, I, I would also say, too, as a writer, it's very helpful because when you look at something that's written in that time period, you see what the way people are thinking. You see what they're, you know, what they're eating, what they're, you know, how much they drink, which amazes me. Uh, uh, you see all kinds, what their concerns are about the war, about You know women's roles you see all kinds of things that can help you be a better writer in doing that research so i just think it's wonderful that there when i was like in my 20s a few years back i never had this opportunity i couldn't find these writers there was no go-to place and now it's so easy and i would just add one thing quickly goodreads is a great place to find out about more writers because you get reviews you get all kinds of background and you get Mm -hmm. hints of where else you can go to find this kind of stuff
1: thank you very much sharon i was uh, dabbing my nose with a tissue off air nobody saw me i was behind (laughs) that's okay love i I was (laughs) that's okay that but but your your reference was perfect going into a dusty bookstore you're going to be doing this um i will also give all of you a, a Website that I use as a tool when I'm investigating oh, okay. because people send me Ooh. quotes for my radio shows. Quoteinvestigator.com. Invest, quote if you yeah. ever want to see <laughs> the provenance of a quote, now they might take something like uh, the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again, and blah blah blah. And that's, it, it, the headline will be, "Was it Drucker? Was it Einstein? Was it Twain? Was it Shakespeare?" And they will give you the contributions. It's like a Wikipedia for quotes. They'll say, "So and so told us that in the in the Milwaukee." Journal on October twelfth, 1914, Uh, Bob Smith wrote an article for the teacher's section of the thing, and he said that, so it predated who you thought said it, but then the first time it was validated by somebody was 20 years after... Einstein died, and it's like a history book. So pick a quote that you think is valid, you think you know, and go into Quote Investigator and see if you can, or just look under the name of whoever the person is you're researching, and you will see stuff you probably won't find anywhere else. I want to squeeze in, we've got six minutes. I want to squeeze in two quick more predictions before I thank you all. Brad, Borkin, let's do quickly this, 90 seconds on this one. You say copyright (gasps) will continue to be a major challenge for historical research. Brad, talk to us. Go ahead, 90.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, this was one of the most fascinating things is that certain things are out of copyright if they're pre-1923, but then there are numerous other permutations of what is actually out of copyright. And in looking, researching Theodore Roosevelt, I was looking for photographs of Theodore Roosevelt, and I didn't find any that were out of copyright except for one on the Library of Congress site. And it's just because they have one of every president that they deem is that's out of copyright, anyone can use it. And it's just frightening, this, this, uh, the, the thing when you're looking at photographs or looking at any source material and wondering, what is, how exactly do I handle the copyright? And even copyright experts are not expert. And, and that's the scary part. And it's, uh, it's a minefield and it's yeah. not going to get easier. Yeah. It's, it's a
1: minefield well put thank you very much and that's important and let's see if we can squeeze in one more ursula i'm looking at your prediction number three which related to the one you read before but you say our tool your your future tool will use ancestry sources as a normal part of regular research ursula tell us more please
3: yeah so henry lewis gates um on the pbs show finding your roots uh, goes into his ancestry sources obviously but I'm surprised that he finds um, unknown relatives or he finds connections, uh, you know, people are related to the Queen of England or whatever, and he finds um, occupations that were unknown to a family, for example, but it occurs to me that these ancestry records are beautiful for normal research, Um, in particular, even uh, researching a person like Stalin, um, you know, finding Mm -hmm. A connection um, to an unexpected source, if one existed, he's been researched so thoroughly. But finding a connection to an unexpected purpose can just uh, bring insights to why he did what he did and uh, who he was and all this sort of thing. So I think that ancestry sources need to become a (laughs) basic part or one of the basic categories always searched for, um, especially people or biographical information.
1: Thank you, Ursula. I was thinking about that dusty bookstore, Sharon, I just started to cough. You shouldn't have, I believed you. Okay. Believable. Now I'm in that world. Now quickly, one more, we're going to sneak in 60 seconds, Sarah Smith. You say the provenance of fact will become important. I'm going to say more important, NFTs will be used to track provenance. 60 seconds, Sarah, talk fast.
5: So, um, way, out, way out in the future, it turns out that a non-fungible token can be used for all sorts of cool things, including verifying who your fact comes from. Oh. And this is going to be used, I think, for copyright. It's going to be used for tracing um, stolen digital stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it <clears throat> will. It will do wonderful things about. Keeping, keeping track of your unpublished manuscripts. So just NFTs are not silly. Think about NFTs.
1: Thank you very much. It brings to mind the blockchain concept of one immutable source of truth where you can follow whether yeah. it's a tuna fish or whether it's a it's a hair color or whether it's something. Where did it come from? How many hands touched it? And what's the truth about that? Thank you. I, I'm so impressed with all four of you. You've been so forthcoming and so generous in sharing your insights, your input. Uh, I'm honored to speak with all of you. Brad, always wonderful. Ursa, always wonderful. And such a treat to meet Sarah Smith and Sharon. And a shout out again to Brad, I'm sorry, Brad, to Aaron Keller. I'm getting my my guys mixed up here. And stay on, ladies and gentlemen, stay on for a second afterwards and we'll talk. Uh, Aaron Keller, our engineer, and I have a quick homework assignment for all of you. I want you to practice waving your finger, waving your finger. Come on, Sarah, Ursula, you've done this before, Brad and Sharon. And I'm going to count to three and we're all going to say no, no, no. So wait, somebody tells you the future is already here. You're going to say one, two, three, no, no.
5: No. (laughs) That's because
1: that was yesterday's future. Today's future isn't here yet, and we're all going to make it a better one. Let's do it. Bonnie D. Mm -hmm. signing off. Everybody wave goodbye. Bye, Facebook. Bye, LinkedIn.
0: Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.